Let me ask you a question. You like playing football? I love playing football. For a special breed of men called Leatherheads, the rules were simple. You hit anybody that comes near him. There were no rules. Oh, I like him. But when the game they loved was going under... We're broke now, our season just started. Time to pack it up and go home. Dodge Conley had the plan. It's your intention to legitimize professional football? To build it back up. Carter Rutherford leaves Princeton to play for the Duluth Bulldogs. What? You ever hear Carter Rutherford, the bullet? War hero football boy? They've got a completely different style, Carter. How are you going to adjust to that? Maybe they'll just kind of adjust to me. So you're a sports writer. Why not? Hey, what's a girl doing in the press box? Certain jobs are always going to be done like that. Big strapping man? Now, two of football's biggest stars will find themselves competing. The real story is the matchup between the bullet and teammate Dodge Conley. Over the one woman. You're the kind of cocktail that comes on like sugar but gives you a kick in the head. Who can throw them for a loss? You think you're the slickest operator in Duluth. But being the slickest operator in Duluth is kind of like being the world's tallest midget, if you ask me. It's too bad we know each other so well we might have gotten along. Well, I'll live. Alone. A couple of plays we ran at Princeton. A lot of our plays are pretty strong. These are a lot like your plays, only a little more effective. Well, I've got some decisions to make. In a minute. Where were you two? Out. Nowhere. This spring. Game of professional football has come of age. That means rules. We never played any game clean. Let the games begin. Throw one. You're the injured party, you get the first punch. Leatherheads. Stay away from my right knee. Watch my left shoulder. Also my right hind quarter. Well, you wouldn't punch me in the back, would you? Let's just go for the face. You just hit me in the face. Well, drop me a beat. I am Eric. He is Kevin. This is the Props Podcast, and today we are taking a long, hard look at Leatherheads. Now, Kevin, uh, you and I chose this, so we had to do it. Did we choose it? <laughs> okay. Or did somebody push it on somebody else? Which is fine, because I do that all the time, too. Okay. But this was not the one that I pushed. This was not the one you pushed. This was my, uh, my selection. How do you and feel about that? I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Can I apologize up top? Mm-hmm. Can we can we repair this relationship and maybe move forward and forget that this ever happened? It depends. I'll need to hear some of your critiques of this movie. Then uh, we'll decide. Other than it was hot garbage, is, is that wow? <laughs> Holy crap! Podcast over. I did not like this movie, but as we were discussing off there, there are some things that are t- will tie in here that we can yeah. that we can bring together. Um, just we'll we'll just start where we start every week: the box office and. Okay, before you tell me the box office, sure. I, I'm going to guess that it was disappointing because I remember when this movie came out, it had the elements necessary mm-hmm. to be a big hit. Like sure. it had Clooney, and if you got Clooney, you usually got a shot. Maybe not so much anymore, but at the time, you had a shot. And then you had Jim from The Office, and this is the point where, is this 08? Yeah, 08. That uh, The Office is, you know, season three, season four, like really going strong. You had Renee Zellweger, who's a viable female lead. Mm-hmm. And so you had a lot of, and you had football. Right. Like, so you had a lot of elements that would seem to make this a hit, but I don't remember this making waves. So I would guess that this was not a box office hit, it's... like uh, maybe even a failure. Okay, yeah, I think failure is a, is a good way to put it. Its estimated budget was $58 million. Okay. Its opening weekend was just under $13 million. It was, is it 12 6 And the gross United States uh, budget, or gross United States earnings for, through June of 2008 was $31 million. Okay. So. Well, you just hit it right there. You said June of 2008? Yeah. That means this was released in the spring. Mm-hmm. It came out in April, yeah. That is stupid. Yeah, we discussed this in season two with... Uh, what, what what was it? Uh, it was, Mir- uh, Mystery Alaska. Yes. Why, it was, why uh, would you not? Why would you not release this? 
in like July at the earliest right. or August or September. Like I get how you might think September's too late because football has started. Sure. I would totally release this in August when people like think about how people consume the Hall of Fame game. That right. game almost always sucks. Sure. But everybody watches it. Everybody listens to it because you've missed football. Why not release this movie in August? That's problem number one. It, it, that is I, Plus this <laughs> isn't a football movie. This it, is not a at romance all. movie <laughs> with football as the backdrop. It is Totally that. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, taglines. This is probably one of the worst taglines I've ever read. Uh, in the beginning, the rules were simple. There weren't any. Okay, I don't. I don't hate it. You don't that, hate beca- it? that becomes a plot point. Like yeah, it does. In the back third of the movie, it sure does. Uh, but th- that's that's the only tagline that I could find for it. It wasn't great. And then you have th- the movie poster is cool. They're all huddled up on the front of it, and I, I dig that. But it's not the tagline is okay. That's what I'm just, it's just okay. Yeah, and that's pretty much the definition of this movie. Right. Is at best it's okay. And yeah. that's at best. Right. Um but yeah, I remember being intrigued by this as well. Like I'm not the world's biggest George Clooney fan because of his kind of radical politics at times. Okay. But I love Jim from The Office. I really like Renee Zellweger. Yeah. I like football. I didn't know a lot about old timey football. I knew it wasn't gonna be like a documentary, but <laughs> you know, I like wacky comedy as much as the next person. I was like, let's see what we got and I just I remember watching this and being so overwhelmed and I'd kind of hoped like the first time I saw Zoolander right I remember not loving it and then I went back and watched it again later and I was like okay this movie's freaking genius I don't know what happened <laughs> and so like you, do you ever hold out that hope that you rewatch a movie that yeah. you remember not loving and I was kind of hoping like hey the elements are there maybe I'll love it go on the podcast I'll love it and then I watched it about by the time we were good 30 minutes in, I was like, yeah, I'm yeah. not going to love it. But let's see what happens. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite is that movie for me. Yeah. The, the first time I saw that movie, I hated it. Okay. And every time since, I've found something new to love about it. Did you see it after all the hype? No, I saw it. Really? Like, the first time it was available, I watched it. Okay, well, that's interesting to me, because the movie that falls in that category for me is, not to veer too far off, but we always do, is The Matrix. So I didn't Mm -hmm. see The Matrix until it came out on DVD, and I remember thinking it was just all right, because everyone in the world told me it was the greatest movie ever, and I was expecting, like, my life to change, and I (laughs) liked it, and I was like, that was all right. But, like, so I saw Napoleon Dynamite. I had to convince a group of six friends to go see it, because they're like, what is this movie called? what is it? And I was like, I just heard it's this really hilarious indie comedy. And they were like, I don't want to. And I had to like beg and plead them to go. And they all loved it because they expected nothing nothing out of it. And it's all about your expectations. And so I think that's one of the reasons that this movie fails is expectations are high. Mm -hmm. Clooney, Renee, Jim. I know his real name's John. (laughs) But by the way, I mean, he's gone on to have the most successful last few years. Right. and football, you've got all the elements for greatness, and it just it it doesn't work. Can we can we uh, veer off t- towards Jim just for a moment? Sure. Did you see Thirteen Hours? I didn't. I saw Quiet Place though. That's awesome. Yeah, quite, he he writ, he wrote and direct directed Quiet Place. Um, I haven't seen it yet, but I've heard it's amazing. It's awesome. Uh, but Thirteen Hours is the uh, the Benghazi story. Yeah, I heard uh, it's good. It's it's amazing. Jim, like when you when I first realized, oh, that's John Krasinski. That doesn't look like John. Like it looks like him, but he's all buff and just he he, he did really well in it. He's had a fascinating career trajectory because I really wouldn't have guessed coming out of the office that I was like, you know, about that guy Jim. I bet he goes on to do a movie about Benghazi. Then what about fracking? And then one uh, about horror monsters that he writes. Like that's not the trajectory. I would have guessed like romantic comedy after romantic comedy, but good for him for taking control of it and doing something. The first thing I saw him outside of the office in, uh, well, this of course, but uh, away we go with uh, Maya Rudolph, where they're 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 a couple and they're having a baby and they're they're looking for a home to buy. It's. Did you? Uh, you clearly didn't like it. I no, It's not that I didn't like it. I clearly didn't see it. Oh, okay. Because little known fact about me, I think Maya Rudolph is the most unfunny human on the face of planet Earth. Okay, we're we're getting some the, hard takes here. The today next time she does something funny, will be the first time. There you go. So back to John. <laughs> he was he was pretty decent in that. And I had this I had this inclination that he could act. And then the last few seasons of The Office were 
brilliant. Sure. And then he just after that show ended, he just took off and did all this other great stuff. So uh, this, however, bringing it back to Leatherheads, it, it wasn't one of them. Well, he, but he was good in. He was a positive. I guess the good thing though is, wouldn't you argue that for fans of The Office, maybe that's good mm-hmm. because, like, let's say that this movie would have been a tr- like a huge success. That would have led into like maybe he could have been a superhero sure. in the burgeoning Mar- Marvel franchise. Yeah, right. Then he would have left The Office. I mean, right. That's what happened with Steve Carell. Is sure. you know he had some hits, and then it just wasn't feasible for him to stay on the show. So part of me is kind of glad that it didn't really take off because he got to stay. That's true. That's true. Okay, so um, we talked about John uh, George Clooney, Renee Zellweger. The rest of the cast is kind of a. Kind of a, eh, you know, I don't really know a lot of these other names. I'll, I'll read a few if you can. Uh, David DeVry- DeVries? Do you, um, nope. No. Rick Forster? Nope. Uh, Craig S. Harper? No, there's nope. there's two others in the, when, when you get to them, I'll, we'll stop you. Uh, Malcolm Goodwin? Matt Bouchelle? Uh, Tommy Hinckley? Tim Griffin? Robert Baker? I've, I don't know any of these names. Uh, Wayne Duvall? Lance Barber? Nicholas Bordages, Jason Drago, and that's all I got. So, uh, so Stephen Root, Stephen Root is, is he's not even on this. Yeah, well, and neither is Jonathan Price. You didn't say Jonathan Price. John, Jonathan. Jonathan Price is probably the fourth lead in this movie. He plays uh, uh, he plays uh, Jim or Carter in the movies. Uh, essentially, agent before that yeah, was yeah. like a totally defined. And I guess he's the oh, there's Stephen Root. One sucks. of the closer things to a bad guy that you're gonna find in this movie, yeah. I suppose. And then uh, Stephen Root plays the super lazy journalist who just gets all of his. <laughs> stories uh steven root is one of my favorite acting people yeah, he's is amazing. you know he was on uh news radio which is one of my all-time favorite shows played jimmy james the boss and then one of my other all-time favorite shows is king of the hill and he plays bill mm-hmm. on king of the hill interesting if you want hot takes as long as i'm firing him out there he's also in what i think is one of the most overrated movies of all time office space Oh, come on. I think Office Space is a good movie, and that's it. But people talk about it as if it's in the running for best comedy of all time, and I think that's preposterous. But he's in it, and I think he's great in it. I love Steven Root. And like he was even in a season of True Blood that I really liked. And so if Steven Root's in it, I'm probably willing to give you the benefit of the doubt. And I thought Steven Root was good. He's not in it a bunch, but. Did, did you, um, did you, you didn't, uh, what was that? Dodgeball. I loved him in Dodgeball. Yes, he's yeah. great. He's great in Dodgeball as well. I thought Jonathan Price was really good in this as well as the like closest thing you really see to a villain for the bulk of sure. the movie. Yeah. And even then, I don't think he's that villainous. He's like just trying to lead his client down the most profitable path. What right. a shock. What a shock, agent. right? <laughs> a little Jerry Maguire-esque. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So where were you when you first saw it? Uh, I remember I ended up seeing this on DVD, and I was disappointed that I didn't get to see it in the theater, but it was one of those things where, man, if you didn't catch it in the first three weeks, yeah, it, was gone. it was gone. And so that's that's been a byproduct of the last decade or sure. so of theaters is, you know, they, they'll they ship things out really well, really quickly if they don't hit. And, man, that thing was gone in three weeks, and I just didn't have a whole bunch of people who wanted to go see it. And so I remember I didn't end up seeing it until it came out on uh, on DVD. I, yeah, same same with me. Uh, it was an 08 release. I was um, well after my military career, and I was, you know, Looking for stuff to do, and I just picked it up on on DVD and and watched it there uh, by myself. Actually, no one like no sure. one no one introduced me to it or anything like that. I was like, oh look, it's George Clooney and uh, it's a football movie. I'll check it out. But it was it was not great when I did. I remember like I remember being very underwhelmed uh, yeah. when when I first saw it. I didn't think it was horrible, but it wasn't. It was just like, eh, you know, it's, it's just what it is. It's not, and there's going to be parts that we pick apart and we already have. It's not a horrible movie, like. It's, you know, a couple minutes short of two hours, I right. think. But it's not bad. It's just, it's meh. So, um, the love story angle is really what, and I realize that's what it is. It's it's a it's a romantic comedy. I get it. But 
to tie that into the football the way they did and have it just be so divisive with uh, was it Dodge? Is that his name? Yeah, Dodge, and, Dodge, and Dodge, and Carter, Dodge and Carter. Uh, as as Dodge is trying to scheme ways to save his team and his league, and he happens to fall in love with Renee Zellweger, and it's <sighs> the thing that I think is stupid about the love story is. The age stuff makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. Is so like pretty early in the movie, Dodge is talking to some lady when it looks like the Duluth Bulldogs are going to have to fold because right. like college football is all the rage, but nobody cares right. about no, pro football. Yeah. And I, I actually, I do want to point out if there is one. I think really fantastic sequence, and I think it sets it up for being better than it actually is. The opening few minutes of the movie, I think, are fantastic. Oh yeah, they are. Yes, where they show Carter, you know, dominating at Princeton, and there's you know twenty, thirty, forty thousand people filling up a bowl, mm-hmm. and they're going crazy. And then you show like the cows running by, and the guys running by for the pro football, right. and you know you lose the one football, or the football gets deflated, and you have to forfeit, forfeit because game. you don't have another like I, I thought that them setting up the dynamic was really cool in terms of kicking the plot into gear and I thought it was a really cool element that is factually accurate about how pro football was not a big deal when it jumped onto the scene but when it looks like Duluth is gonna fail George Clooney is talking to some lady about getting a job or whatever and um, she's like well how old are you and he goes 30s late 30s and she goes uh-huh and he's like 38 and she goes yeah i'm gonna put <laughs> you down as 45 very nice yeah and so i was like okay so we've established that george clooney is give or take 45 which right. i think is like about how old he actually was in that movie sure and then the weird part is like he falls in love with renee zellweger who they're trying to pass off as 31 in this movie, mm-hmm. even though I think she's about 40, which doesn't work for me. Nope. And then she's like, well, you're too old for me. And then she's trying to date this kid who's a junior in college. Now, I know he spent a few years in the army, but even then, he's what, 23? Yeah, 24 at best. Yeah. yeah. And so she's supposedly 31, eight years older than him. And that age dynamic is okay. And so, like, you have two, you have, like, essentially age wise, a father and son mm-hmm. going after the same woman. And it's just that age dynamic I thought was all across the board. And plus, Renee Zellweger is closer in actual age to George Clooney than she is to Jim Krasinski anyway. Right. And that whole thing just didn't work for me. And. Yeah, I it just didn't it didn't work. So I I agree with all those points. The, my next point of contention is the the World War One hero backstory. Um, is it something that really needed to be exposed? I mean, did she? I mean, that's well the whole reason she was there. Yeah. So <laughs> like, okay, I guess that's that might be the biggest problem with the plot is there is no. It makes no sense why she exposes him. Because what I will say is they set Renee Zellweger up as a really strong female character. Yes, they do. Like, she goes into conversations and she rules over the conversations because she's the smartest person there. In the room. And she, yeah, she wants you to yeah, know it too. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, she does. <laughs> and she goes into the... I mean, like, there's no question. I, I read some preposterous thing. They were like, hey, did you know that George Clooney watched a lot of zany 30s and 40s comedies to prepare for this? And I was like, uh, yeah, no. No kidding. And so, like, <laughs> Renee Zellweger is clearly supposed to be Catherine Hepburn. There can be no dispute about that. And so then the other thing is, like, she rolls into the press box, and she's clearly the smartest reporter, writer there. And so she's, like, a really strong female character mm-hmm. and finds out that Carter, played by Jim Krasinski, is made out to be this all-American war hero. And while he did serve in the military, and he was in World War One, then the Great War, it, he wasn't really that heroic i would argue he i mean they try to make it out like he's a coward because he when he was over with the germans he said i surrender in german and everyone surrendered and they try to make it out like he was a coward and i was like i don't know man if i was in a trench with 
20 opposing soldiers, mm -hmm. I would try to do something crafty so I could live as well. So I dispute the narrative that he was a coward or something, but the idea that he's not as big of a hero as he's made out to be, but he still is great at football. He makes good grades. He wants to be a lawyer. He seems like a really nice guy. And while they established this romantic pseudo relationship, right. He says, like, things get blown out of proportion, and he doesn't want to talk about it. And then when he eventually confesses his story to Renee Zellweger, he says he feels uncomfortable because he doesn't want to turn everyone in the army and everyone in his platoon to, in, into liars. Right. So, like, it doesn't—I get that I get that Carter is benefiting from the story, mm -hmm. but it doesn't seem like he likes that. Yeah, he does—he's not— Keen to it at yeah, all. Yeah, because he doesn't ever want to talk about it or anything like that. So he's not a bad person. And no. he's just caught in a tough situation. And by the way, again, he's like, what, 22, 23? Mm -hmm. That's probably complicated. When sure. I mean, that would be complicated for us, let alone somebody of that age. And then, so it seems like he's a good person. It seems like she's a really good person who's really good at her job. But why does she eventually expose the story that she knows is going to destroy this kid? even though it doesn't seem to be doing any discernible harm to anybody, right. is because she gets mad at a love dust-up when her and George Clooney yeah. start making <laughs> out, and then and then George Clooney and John Krasinski and Renee Zellweger, they have this big blow-up in the, in the lobby of a hotel, and then that's when she prints the story out of spite. Out of spite. She prints the story out of spite of a story that, like, I get the newsworthiness of mm -hmm. it, but it didn't really, like, she said she cared about this guy. She had to know that was going to destroy him. Mm -hmm. And so she did it because she was mad. Like, she seemed way too smart and in control for that. That is not something that Katherine Hepburn would have done right. in one of these movies. And they're clearly trying to replicate, with George Clooney and Renee Zellweger, they're clearly trying to replicate the you know, like the Cary Grant aspect mm -hmm. or the Jimmy Stewart and Catherine Hepburn kind of dynamic. Like one of my all-time favorite movies, especially for that era, is like Philadelphia Story. And mm -hmm. Catherine Hepburn rules all over that too. And like, I get that they're trying to replicate it. It's just, it worked better then sure. than it does now. But her motivations for trying to ruin Carter make <laughs> no sense you, at all. You, are you a Seinfeld guy? Oh yeah, of course. So that when <laughs> you, you said spite, he tries to return that jacket. Yes, out of, what, spite. out of spite. That's not one of the accepted <laughs> reasons. <laughs> that's right. That's why you gotta lie. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. So you 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 mentioned off air and just now on air the uh, the kind of the homages that this was um, paying tribute to with Captain Hepburn and you know Jimmy Stewart and all that. But were there other films that you saw kind of semblances uh, to um, that that popped up immediately or? or um, so the uh, North, the, the train scene reminded me, it, it's not the same, but the element they were kind of going for reminded me somewhat of North by Northwest mm -hmm. in how quickly, uh, that spark or whatever can be shown off on the train. Like North by Northwest is a very, very different movie, sure, of course. but the whole point is like, um, you know, when you see Cary Grant, like things start to uh, kind of spark on the train. And I think that's where the line comes from. I didn't have anything to do that weekend. So I decided to fall in love, sure. which I get on its <laughs> surface. You're like, oh, but like in the moment I was like magical. I, I like, so I'm not always against love for the record. Um, but like they spark so quickly on a train and there's no question the, the train car wacky mix up when uh, Carter is walking Renee Zellweger to her train car and then George Clooney is in one of the bunks and she's in one of the bunks and she's down to her slip. Oh my, Ooh. scandalous. <laughs> and so like they end up sleeping in bunks but they're in the same train car which is scandalous. Like that very much is like it. Uh, another one that it kind of reminds me of a charade but that again is from the same like much like North by Northwest, we're talking late 50s, early 60s, and then Philadelphia Story, I think, is like 1939, 1940, mm -hmm. 41. So, like, they definitely drew from eras of, like I said, the uh, Audrey Hepburn, Catherine Hepburn, Jimmy Stewart, Cary Grant. That's, like, a huge player right there. And I do enjoy that. And I was going to say, one thing I really liked about this uh, movie that I think they got right was the music. Like, yeah. I thought the music fit what they were going for really well. The um, There was one stimulus to 
you, you kind of you mentioned earlier Stephen Root. He was just kind of lazy. Oh you know? sure. Uh, he kind of reminded me of John Lovitz in um, A League of Their Own. Just oh, I can see that. <laughs> just a little, you know, a little lazy, a little chauvinistic, a little. Uh... Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> just... Which which is not seen as a as a big deal. And like again, that's another thing that Renee Zellweger has to fight against. And mm-hmm. it's amazing how she's overcome it because like she's clearly on the way up at her newspaper, which again calls her motivations about writing a mean-spirited story over a man into question. That makes no sense and doesn't fit her character at all. But yes, John Lovitz in A League of Their Own, I think it's criminal that he wasn't nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I really do. I know he's not in the movie a ton. Every scene he's in, he rules all over it. When he's like, I gotta go see another girl. Right, exactly. Like, that's an amazing (laughs) moment right Very good John Lovitz, by the way. Do you practice that at home? No, I should. Maybe not. (laughs) That's like that's a great movie. Like League of Their Own, if you're comparing, mm-hmm. I know they're not they're kind of the same in terms of their both period movies right. looking to capture it. League of Their Own feels like it captured every moment of the period, but also had the story to boot. Leatherheads captures some moments of the era, but it doesn't have the story to boot. So uh going back to season one, we did we did um a League of Their Own and we we released that and in the same week we had a lady that was in she came in she was she actually drove down from Calgary. She she drove her motorbike down Alberta, from Alberta, Canada. Exactly. And uh they were gonna be here anyway. The the Blue Jays were playing the Rangers and the, so they were gonna be here anyways. They like to take a road trip. But she was the producer and director of a film oh, I'm sorry, of a of a, a one act, one woman play about the All American Girls Baseball League. Really? And it she was she had a lot of different insight with the props and everything that they used. Like they tried to get them as as, as, th- as authentic as they could. But the woman who was the actress that played the role, she played thirty two different roles, and it was a great compliment to Prop Season One, uh, um, A League of Their Own, because it, it just went hand in hand together. That sounds awesome. So, that, I do love that movie. Yeah. I own that movie. That's a great movie. Do you think Gina Davis dropped the ball at the end on purpose? I think so. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Uh, so let's get let's get back to this one though. Uh, Stephen Root looking uh, acting and feeling a little bit. John Lovitz. By the way, and that is not an exaggeration. I have seen many stories because I worked in a newspaper for right. uh, about ten years, college, and then when I graduated. I have seen many a story essentially fed to a reporter of where course. they're pretty much get their agenda across. I've seen it many times. Now, do you, how do I ask this politically? Have I ever done that? No. Like, I, I don't think so. Have I ever gotten uh, fed a lead or a story that I knew was being given to me for a certain reason? Mm-hmm. Of, course, of course. That happens to everybody. But that's the key, is like, Stephen Root's character just took it verbatim from George Clooney, and that's what he ran. Right. The key is, as a journalist, you should use that as your starting point. Right. You know, like, right. I've got all this information, now I need to go catch up with X, Y, and Z and see if I could fill the rest of it out because, you know, got to get the other now, stuff. Now, the, you bring up a great point here that uh, you, you, you made mention of it last week, and if anybody's ever listened to the Fat Packs or, or Prop Season 2, you, you know where Kevin comes from. You know the world that he's coming from. Uh, now, being a former paper guy, when you see when you see things like this in movies w- with this shadiness, do you like automatically start to critique how they're doing as a as a as a reporter? It's I think so. Not as much on this one, just because the era was so different. Mm-hmm. But like, it was fascinating. You know, a few months back, or I guess it was going into last year now. Holy cow! Is when I saw the post. Like, I was really interested by that. But even then, it's harder to judge because that was a different era of you know newspapers. Yeah. Like, I didn't start working at a newspaper until two thousand and four, mm-hmm. and so. But like, whenever you see modern things and people talk about like actually pressing the button that says "stop the presses," sure. and I was like, that is not how that would <laughs> go down. And your foreman would be so freaking pissed. And if if that went 
but so yeah, no, I absolutely critique it like that. There was a movie, uh, or there was a TV show called My Boys, mm-hmm. uh, and it was uh, the main character. She was a beat reporter for the Cubs, and I started watching the show because it had Jim Gaffigan in it, and it, I thought it was an entertaining show. The most preposterous part about that show is that she's always at home. Like, yeah. if you're the beat reporter for the Cubs, you would be on the road, like, all the freaking time. And she never was. And I was like, that's stupid. First of all, they have three daily papers in Chicago. So, like, you're going to be on the road. But she was always at home, and they had their weekly poker game. And I was like, well, second of all, wouldn't you be at the game at least some of these times when the team was at home? They play a lot more night games now that they right. go those fancy nights <laughs> out of Wrigley. And so things like that, I definitely critique. That's a uh, – again, we're, we're – this is just so sh- this show could be called more more digressions but the the story of the first night game at Wrigley Field is amazing the backstory to that yeah uh not to not to promote another podcast but uh ESPN 30 for 30 podcast did a, did a whole hour and a half on that and it was really worth listening to okay it's really really cool to check it out all right uh keeping it real were the athletes were the athletic scenes believable do you think uh, i think with this being a more modern film, I think they were easier to watch. They weren't as uh, choppy as some of those mid-90s. I, I could see that. The other thing is, and we talked about this with, you know, we talked about it with Mighty Ducks. We talked about it with Slapshot. Mm-hmm. I'm sure we'll talk about it with the replacements. A smart plot device of this is it's established. Mm-hmm. They're not good. They're not you know, like, it's established that people who pray, play pro football are not particularly impressive. George Clooney might be the best player for Duluth, and we've established he's 45. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that lets them off the hook. If this was set in the 2005 NFL, I'd be like, we got problems. But it's set in, you know, I think it's 1928 and so, or 1926. So it's established that they're not very good, and you know they're not very good, and there's a reason they don't draw. And so that's why I think uh, John Krasinski as Carter does a really good job as well, because his athleticism and especially his strides when he's running, given mm-hmm. how tall he is, he it, he really does seem like a standout athlete. So I thought he did uh, a good job there. Now, um, you bring up a good point, and you made reference to it last week about some research you were doing about the 35 bears. 1932 that, bears. 1932 bears. Um, and we were talking off air at the end of the show last week and then on air. College football was king. Oh, sure. Uh, Army was running wild, Notre Dame. The, it was just king. And you get to professional levels, and it's a joke. And they, like you said earlier, they do, a very, they do a very good job of setting that up with the opening sequence. They really do. So when you were looking into the 32 Bears, what did you find? Okay, so... And we, we kind of started this because of the Cleveland Browns. And so the Cleveland Browns last week... They were in their third overtime game mm-hmm. of the season out of five games. And I was thinking, oh, wow. Well, surely that's uh, that's got to be some sort of record. Ha, ha, not even close. Right. Okay, so it turns out that, like, I guess ties used to be way more of a deal in the prior NFL, which I probably should have known since they didn't even institute uh, over time until the early 70s. Right. And so I I just kind of, it was almost like a YouTube hole, whereas I started reading things about ties, and then all of a sudden I made my way to this and this and this, and I eventually made my way to the 1932 Bears. All right, the 1932 Bears are fascinating for a whole lot of reasons. First of all, two of their lead players, Bronco Nagurski and Red Grange. Right. So that first, then that obviously makes them stand out. Their first three games, they started out with zero wins, Zero ties, or excuse me, zero wins, zero losses, and three ties. Their ties, zero to zero, <laughs> zero to zero, and zero to zero. So wait, you're telling me it was zero to zero? Yeah. Okay. Their fourth game was their only loss of the season. They lost two to zero. Wow. They started On a safety? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> they started the season 0 1 and 3. They finished the season as the NFL champions at seven wins, one loss, and six ties. They had six ties. Their final game of the season, they beat the Portsmouth Spartans, who are now known as 
the Detroit Lions okay. in what was essentially the first ever NFL playoff game. And it was necessitated because they used to just play it like a round robin. You would play all the teams. You would play actually most of the teams twice. Mm-hmm. And whoever had the best record, it was more like English premier soccer. Okay. Whoever had the best record at the end of the year, they were the champions. They were champions. Well, there was a tie for the first time ever. Both teams were tied just ahead of the Green Bay Packers, who were coached by Curly Lambeau which is amazing. And so they ended up playing the first ever playoff game. And it was going to be so cold in Chicago, they didn't want to have the game at Wrigley Field because they were going to drive away the fans. So they held it at an indoor venue, but they couldn't find an indoor venue that was suited to hold the field. So they didn't have a 100-yard field. They had an 80-yard field that only had goalposts on one side of the field. What? And it also was a narrower field. So whenever the ball would go out of bounds, you would set the ball in 10 yards from out of bounds because they used to just – you would start the play wherever it went dead. Sure. And because of that, the next year they instituted hash marks for the first time ever in the NFL. Wow. So the 1932 Chicago Bears are amazingly fascinating. And that's why when I was watching Leatherheads, I was getting a kick out of some of the things because I was like, not too far off from the truth. Like, I don't dispute some of the factual things that they got right sure. in Leatherheads. I think they did a good job with some of those things, actually. All right. Let's jump to the movie memorabilia. And I'm happy to know that what you just confirmed that the they did a pretty good job. So yeah. that's awesome. At least they got that part right. Uh, what, what actually before we get to the movie memorabilia, I want to talk about the final game and the the mud game. The mud game. Uh, so Carter has now defected and is playing for not necessarily through fa- faults of his own. There's th- yeah. a lot of things happening. So there. Yeah. now it's it's Duluth versus Chicago, and that it's it's Carter versus Dodge. This was. Almost unbearable, <laughs> unbearable for me because it was just the highlight, the 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 culmination of the love story, and then uh, how these They're two men really playing to win. Yeah, They're playing to win Renee Zellweger, exactly. Thus insinuating that whoever won the football game would get the girl, right. which is incredibly insulting. I would imagine if you're a female in this climate, I can't believe that in you- any climate <laughs> it should be insulting, though, right? That's right. So um, I just it just fell flat for me. It especially in this last game it was not i the good the thing the, the reason why the build to it isn't i don't think is good is because in most like of these screwball romantic comedies or just romantic comedies in general there's somebody that like you clearly want them to end up with right. and i get that you clearly are supposed to want Renee Zellweger to end up with George Clooney but why Right. Like, yeah. why, Jim Krasinski is not a bad guy. He's not. I mean, we talked about the problems that he had coming out of World War One when he was a teenager and had this story thrust upon him. Did he speak out against it? No. Was that kind of shady? Okay. I get why you would feel that way. But he didn't go. I mean, he was still in college. People were using advertisements mm-hmm. of him against his, uh, I mean, he wasn't getting paid for that or anything like that. So there were some advantages, but it wasn't like he was becoming this like unbelievable, unstoppable millionaire or anything like that. And he seemed like a genuinely good guy who was genuinely better at football than Dodge. And by the way, they set up throughout the movie that Dodge kind of cheats and has shady tactics along right. the way to help Duluth not only stay in business, yeah. but win games. Why is he the good guy? Like the whole reason he was having trouble was because the rules started to formulate and come together yes. so he couldn't do the things that he wanted to do. Exactly. So, it's kind of Slapshot-esque in, in that when you look at the final game when they're like, we're going to play it straight right. up and that just doesn't really work out and they're like, all right, let's go back to the way we used to do it. And so like, I have no reason to root against Jim. And so the climax, and plus they're buddies for most of the movie. Right, for most of the until movie. Until you find out a woman's going to drive them apart. But again, Why? Was it ever defined that she was only with one of them? She's not married to either one of them. Is she not allowed to date? I guess uh, not. Maybe not, yeah. All right, so that's that's that, unless you have any other... No, no, no. that's that's fair. But, I mean, I, I thought it was an interesting callback to kind of like a war mentality when George Clooney pops up out of the mud and you think it's the other team that's got the ball. Right, hey, that's a nice call, like, yeah. It's Dodge. Like, that's very war tactic-esque, which I thought was kind of cool. And, you know, like, George Clooney gets... 
gets his win and he gets the comeuppance on Jim, but they tried to turn Jim like in the last 20 minutes. And mm-hmm. I thought he didn't seem evil the rest of the movie. Yeah. He signs autographs for kids, seems like a genuinely good person. He's Hulk Hogan in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly Why what he not? is. All right. Uh, memorabilia wise, uh, oddly enough, there's plenty of it out there. Uh, not surprising, though, because it's a 2008 film, so there's a lot of promo material sure. that ended up on backlots that got thrown away. That people this, this happens a lot. People go through those backlots and just rummage through trash cans, and then that stuff all ends up on eBay or movie props or something like that. Right. So it's not, it's not totally surprising. Um, one, there's there's one, one place here, uh, Hollywood memorabilia, that has a creative screenwriting magazine that's dual autographed from uh, George Clooney and Renee Zellweger. They're asking $281 for it. I tell you what. Doesn't seem too bad. Clooney is a hard autograph. It, like, it's not, he's not out there a lot signing. So, bad. especially since he lives in like Lake Como, Italy. So. Sure. <laughs> I would just tell him I'd campaigning against Ted Cruz. There you He'd go. Like, stop down and be like, okay. There you go. Let me give you that. Um, also, there's a European movie prop store out there, and they have some of what I would call the coolest um, props. The, this is these are all magazines from or uh, or mag. Uh, what are they called? Programs. Programs. There you go. From the uh, from the movie. So there's the Leatherheads 1925 program. Um, there's a Leatherheads wall calendar and a Chicago versus Duluth official program. Oh, okay. uh, but my favorite is the Carter Rutherford diet plan book. Okay, <laughs> that's close to one of the things that I was going to request for my memorabilia. Uh, so, so my three things is, first of all, it, it can be basic and it can belong to any of the players. I really do think it would be cool to have one of those uh, era leather helmets. Sure. I just really think it would be incredible. Uh, secondly, I absolutely want that clock scoreboard advertisement with Jim Krasinski's just smiling yeah, on yeah, there. Yeah. I thought that was incredible. And then third, I would want one of the little notebooks from Stephen Root that he doesn't really use until he talks to George Clooney. Right. Because like he just sits up in the press box and doesn't really do any work, which, by the way, you can see beat reporters doing that quite a bit. Uh, They're just uh, watching the game? Yeah, okay. yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. You'll see. I've seen people hang out at the buffet and not watch the game. Really? But, yeah, so I would want the notebook from from Stephen Root, because again, I think it's a good, uh, I think it's a cool prop for journalism, and then it's Stephen Root, and I told you, I'm, sure. a, I'm a huge fan of it. Sure, um, man, I kind of want that diet book. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's, now that you mentioned that's it, that's really important. Um, I, I, I do this with all the all the games, like the the the, the championship game or whatever that we always talk about. The I want jerseys are awesome. The jerseys yeah. are awesome, but I want a ticket from that game. I'm a big ticket guy, and I need a ticket Whoa. from that game to. Hey, you context. know what I'm talking about? Five three, the fan for life. Baby. I, I got you. Uh, there there are no uh, there are no P ones here. Uh, so P one is a radio term. It doesn't belong to that <laughs> station. Um. I, I like I like I like tickets. I have a collection of tickets of games I've been to and stuff like that. So I want a ticket from that last game. I have a couple of tickets from the 1959 World Series, which before last decade was the last one the Chicago White Sox had ever been to. Okay. And so my grandparents went to that, and so they gave me those tickets. They're pretty yes. cool. They are cool. Uh, just collector wise, very underappreciated market out there for that. I mean, it's everybody loves cards and, and autographs and stuff like that. There are tickets out there that are absolutely hard to find and almost impossible to come by. They, they're worth money. That should maybe be a separate podcast because that's why when you see like arenas like Detroit that aren't, aren't doing printed tickets mm-hmm. anymore, that bums me out. Right. That, that sucks. And All right. So there's that. And then uh, you said uh, uh, a helmet from, from any one of those players. This is another thing that's it's kind of off camera, but it's suggested that it's there because I knew that I know that uh, hotels used to do this. I need that hotel sign in registry book for when they're all they're all fighting oh, in the yeah, hall. Oh yeah, that's a good idea. <laughs> that's a really good idea. I like that. I need that one. Um, we need to bring that back. We need. We do yeah. need to bring that back. It's um something that you know it's, it's just one of those old fashioned things that you just yeah, don't think about yeah, or see like anymore. And, uh, also, I wanted to point out to you that this is a uh, Upper Deck had a football license at this time. Okay. And they were they had the enough foresight to see that Leatherheads was going to be a banging movie and was absolutely going to be the talk of the town. So what they did Whoops. was they created uh, a subset in SP Authentic really? called Rookie Leatherheads. So think about your 2008 rookie class. This Jamal Charles and... I just saw uh, him yesterday getting beat yeah, down by the Cowboys. Three carries, three yards or something like that. Uh, Joe Flacco, uh, Dustin Keller... 
Who else is on that? Who else is on that one? Um, geez, there's one more big name that I'm. Uh, Jonathan Stewart. Yeah, he's he's on it, and then Devin Thomas, Kevin O'Connell. As I'm going through the thing here, so they have a leather rookie leatherheads autograph, uh, and the patch on the card is from a leather helmet that they're wearing. Really? Yeah. Okay. So uh, all I've you collectors, all you collectors out there, just look up 2008 SP Authentic Rookie Leatherheads. Matt Forte is another name that comes up. That's a good one. Um, so they're they're out there, and um, they're probably a little overhyped uh, on eBay right now for for the pricing. But you know, if after you, this podcast comes out, they'll probably drop in value. Probably drop in value. Thanks for the love there um all right no no because people are so invested in ah. this podcast they'll turn against the movie and the subset is i what see I'm i got you it's all a right. positive man i got you i got you all right so uh my favorite time of the show is when we discuss the critic reviews man okay i don't think i'm wrong here I, this has mediocrity written all over okay it. before you announce anything though i want you to go back and think about what happened last week with rot, uh, rot, oh. with Rotten Tomatoes and Necessary Roughness. Furious it was It was low. It was really furious. low. Furious. Uh, as we are not trying to convince each other that this is a good movie this time around, I want you to take all that information and go into it. I'll let you pick. Where do you want to start? IMDb, Rotten Tomatoes. And this one's actually on Metacritic, so. Uh, well, of course. It's Clooney. Yeah. They got to. Uh, let's start with Rotten Tomatoes. All right. No, let's start with IMDb. Okay. Uh, I'm going to go. I remember I was being furious about necessary roughness, disrespect. But I'm sure this is higher because if it's Clooney, it's automatically plus 10 or 15. So I'll say, I'll still say IMDb gives it like a five. It is higher than a five. Bull. Preposterous! <laughs> it is a six. Okay, well, that, all right. If still, you were gonna say like a seven and a half, I was gonna close your computer. Oh, before we get to before we get to the next two, I uh, I do like to mention all the awards and nominations of film we, the films we review. Uh, get this had one win and three nominations. Okay, uh, that's about right. Australian Film Institute right. 2008 nominee, AFI International Award Best Actor Jack Thompson. What? Yeah. Uh, ESPN Awards 2008 uh, ESPY nominee best movie best sports movie and International Film Music Critics Award nominee IFMCA Award best original score Randy Newman that I do support I think the music in this is very appropriate to the film it's by Randy Newman huh (laughs) okay and finally the, the the winner the Yoga Awards, 2009 Yoga Awards. What is that? Worst Foreign Actress, Renee Zellweger. Oh, <laughs> all right. So that's kind of like a Razzie sort it's of a, yeah, Exactly. All right. all right. Rotten Tomatoes. We, we, now, keep in mind, we had a score of 60 on uh, IMDb. So Rotten Tomatoes. Mm, that's give me 65. Give, give me the tomato meter. You I say 65? I think tomato meter is usually pretty consistently higher than IMDb. I say 65. It is not. Ooh, is it higher? It is lower. Oh, thank God. Like, okay, then I'm going to go back to my IMDb. 50%. 52%. Okay, that's where it should be. It yeah. should be like right in the middle. Man, but they gave Necessary Roughness like 31% right. or something absurd. Uh, 38% on the audience score on that one. That See, and that makes more sense to me. It, like, I remember this reminds me of, and I think Clooney was in this too, The Monuments Men, or he might yeah, have produced yeah, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. One of the most boring movies I've ever seen in my life. And critics were like, oh, it's so great. And then the audience was like, this movie sucks. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Metacritic, the hardest of Metacritic's the all the critics. Metacritic's got to be in the 30s. No. You're kidding me. No. Is it because it's Clooney? It's probably because it's Clooney. Yeah, come on, people. I know he supports your causes and stuff. You don't have to like his movies. 56. Whatever. (laughs) Metacritic is weak. Uh, Kevin does not like. Dude, Metacritic is the toughest one out there, and they're going to give a better score than Rotten Tomatoes? Mm -hmm. Are you kidding me? Come on. Well, that's what it is, buddy. I'm, I'm Yeah, I'm this sorry. is the site that was too good for Necessary Roughness. Yeah, that's right. Necessary Roughness, one of the greatest football classics necessary of all time. Necessary Roughness is infinitely better than this movie. Indeed. Okay, so um, I don't even have to ask. But it's, not it's, it's not a classic. It's not a if classic. If you haven't figured that out by now, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. I, look, if I... If I 
I'm going to say something else positive about it. I already told you, I think the intro is great. I think the music is fantastic. I will tell you, if you're a fan of, you know, the 30s, 40s, screwball romantic comedies, maybe you will find that this movie is for you. But it, it, it it's a romance movie that masquerades in the marketing as a football movie, and I get why. And because of that, it just didn't work. But for some people, if you like that, it might work for you. Sure. All right, want to give a big shout-out and thank you to Spotty Hot Cash. Go check him out on eBay. He's got everything you need, especially if you are a uh, Kansas or Michigan State lover. You can go uh, find everything you need there. He also has a very nice Brian Bosworth collection. So Big weekend for Michigan State. And big wish, Yeah, big big win, huh? Big win. All right, uh, next week we are going to take a look at the replacements, which follows the mid-'80s strike of the NFL pretty closely. Now, and I, re- I remember liking this movie mm-hmm. significantly more, and this is my co-host, Corey. This is like he loves this movie. So, Do we need to bring him in and have Man, like a – I'm going to ask him. If he wants to – we have a third mic. Hey. If he wants to come and join this and be a voice of reason – then he, he makes can, passive aggressive comments about not being on this podcast all the time. So really? perhaps he'll want to join in. Oh, absolutely, he does. Corey, if you're listening, you are welcome to come and join the show. Uh, before we get off the get off the line here, though, what ended up happening with uh, with the open fantasy league teams this weekend? Uh, that's a little inside for you guys that that don't listen. Don't listen. But uh, Corey sat down at a computer and had the ability to to mess with some fantasy. Fantasy settings. What yeah. happened? So one of our part-time guys, uh, Lane, Lane Lewis, Lewis, and we give him crap because he also worked at a steak place, and we always talk about how he promised us free steak, and he's never like, happened. I never make that promise. And every time we see him, we just go, steak? Uh-uh. And he's like, no! And so we always hold that over him. And so when we were doing the show uh, a Sunday morning, which, by the way, most Sunday mornings you can hear KNC Masterpiece during football season, mm-hmm. shameless plug alert, otherwise 7-11, weekdays, 105. Three the fan and radio.com. My is, favorite show in the Metroplex. There you go. Thank you very much. Uh, that's how I made it here. <laughs> and so he left all of his fantasy stuff up there, even his fantasy sports stuff, uh, even his fantasy <laughs> hockey team, which we all deemed was sad. We ended up not changing out his roster. Weak. We thought about it because our producer, Eric, for the day, we talked about just trading all of his players to Eric. <laughs> But believe it or not, there was even a worse cruel fate for Lane. All right. We didn't change anything on his roster. Him and his opponent, neither one of them have anybody going Monday night. He lost by .32. Oh, my goodness. How cruel is that? .32. Wow. That's... Sorry, Lane. So maybe we should have made a change. Maybe you should have made the difference. You could have. You want to have Pat Mahomes or anything like that? Yeah. No, I don't. I can't remember who his quarterback was, but yeah. I, I don't. Maybe it's too late. Obviously, this. But I feel like as our as our budding relationship uh, flourishes, maybe I need to get in on that uh, 105.3 The Fan part time league and see if I can. Uh, Hey, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. We can hijack it for you too. Very nice. We'll actually do something about it this time. <laughs> Very nice. All right, guys. Uh, next week, come back, check out our review of the replacements, and until then, that's a wrap.